I preach about Romans 6 and 7. So what is going to happen today? Romans 8, of course. And, and I think we're going to bring it all together here. So probably we all feel the same. So at the end of the year, Christmas, it's time, a family visit. And so we've just come back from Lüdenscheid. I have a 94 year-old mother living there and she's quite healthy still so this is good so my father of course I mentioned it before he died 2002 but I thought I will start this message with my father because I shared a lot about him before of course in connection with Veil of Silence Wehrmacht and an officer in the Wehrmacht and also with my own story that he was a Freemason. But I define my father not like that. I define him totally different. I define my father through the love that he gave me and gave us children. So I come from a very healthy home. And you don't hear that much about it. So it was quite he a whole. And I define my father through the good that he gave to me and the love that I experienced and received from him. And I'm very grateful for that, for a protected home, protected family. My father and my mother, they really lived a healthy marriage and that's a great gift. I remember, of course, it, it was the end of the 50s, beginning of the 60s, and we grew up in that time, so Germany looked a little bit different. So, so there were a lot of um, scars from the World War II. I remember a lot of buildings. They were still destroyed and broken. It's not that long ago. When I was born, that was 1958, so you can just count how old I am. So that is not that long ago, so Second World War. And of course Germany was rebuilt in the time after the war and we lived in Lüdenscheid. I have two older siblings and a younger sister. And then the garden, it was supposed to be a beautiful garden, but there were three children and they well, they transformed it to an adventure playground. And so the garden was released and we were digging in the ground and we were hiding treasures and we could do it. So on the one hand, we grew up in freedom and at the same time, our father was someone who loved it, but he also showed authority. So I got to know both of it and how it fits together and also belongs together. So um, it's not something that is opposing each other, but no, love and authority is very something healthy. So and when I got saved for him, that was a very interesting step because as a Freemason and a humanist, he had been searching for all of his life and looking for a way and he tried to improve himself and become a better man and then a 14 year old teenager comes saying I have found I have found truth, I have found Jesus and of course that is very challenging and it was very challenging for him but he accepted it and he accepted my way as a Christian and I remember one thing, and I have been speaking about it before and said it before. One of the things that really marked my life was we were together as a family, and he took my mother, and he said, Children, you are wanted and loved, and you are the children of our love. And it gave me stability and also identity. And it is something that really defines me. Out of love comes identity. And sometimes it is stronger than a negative heritage. So love overcomes everything, says the Word of God. And that means through this fact I have a background and a blessing in my life till today. So when we are with my mother as a family, so she is 94 right now, it's her greatest joy to speak about my father. 
Sometimes we have to try to lead the subjects to other subjects, but this is what leads to Romans 8, because I want to speak about Romans 8, but I wanted to grab your attention so that you don't think, well, it's just some verses from Scripture. Roman 8, Romans 8 is one of the most central chapters at all. So you could preach and ha keep a have a seminary about every verse here. So I had to choose. And I will start with Romans 8, 1 to 4. <coughs> I'm going to read some of the verses because they are so crucial and so important. So therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we could remain standing here. You could say amen and hallelujah and praise the Lord because through Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful men to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. And so some verses further for those con and then verse 14 because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry Abba Father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So there are other verses, verses as well. How should he not give us everything with him? And this is one of my favorites. So neither height nor loath, nothing can separate us. So all of this is in Romans 8. So I had to think back, how did it go on? So I got saved when I was 14. And when I was 16, I experienced something else. I experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I come from an unbelieving home. My friends came from different backgrounds and churches, and they said, Yups, it's good you got saved, but there's way more. And so I went through different steps, but I wanted to encounter the Holy Spirit. And I believe when I was 16 or 17, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever you may call it, but the Holy Spirit came into my room. He answered my prayer. He changed my prayer, and he's uh, in, uh, speaking in tongues. And so suddenly the Holy Spirit was no longer a distant person of Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he became a living person. He became real. And suddenly I knew and I realized that life as a Christian is not a Christian trying to live in strict Christian structures and to have a, a somehow successful life. But then there was a book and it said living like a, a royal um, child. So it means I'm a child of God, a child of the King. I'm filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, I have someone in my life who changes my life in a very real way. And my life received a new dimension. And when I was 16, I knew there is something that I never want to lose again. So I went to the first service and the Holy Spirit moved and every service was so exciting because I knew it could be that the Holy Spirit is going to hit me. So there were thicker pillars than we have here and I was hiding a little bit behind the pillars because I didn't know what would be happening if there would be a prophetic word and what would happen to me. So every service, everything that the Holy Spirit did was so exciting and I was taught. I was taught taught about the equipping of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the whole attitude was with the Holy Spirit to that with the Holy Spirit you do not experience defeat, but you can overcome. You're more than an overcomer. Tell your neighbor you're more than an overcomer. 
So many remain standing there. They experience how they give their life to Jesus. Maybe you've experienced that you're planted and rooted in a church. You live and you with Jesus and follow Jesus. And maybe you were baptized and you experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in some points. Maybe well, when you're coming to the front and altar calls, somebody prays for you. And some experience a baptism in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, whatever you call it. But many remain standing here. And what you have to know is that when we remain standing there, we have not received everything because the Holy Spirit is waiting to encounter you personally. And He is waiting to really, really have every area of your life, to lead every area of your life, to fill it. And my dear friends, this is not theory, but something that is essentially important. And this is why we read in Romans 8, verse 14, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Because those who are led in every area of life, those are God's children. So, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, His presence, His rulership of the Holy Spirit, and you will recognize that we are His children. So it's not an experience that we make like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, not an experience of getting saved, not something that is in the some place in the past, but the sign and hope for all, all of those who are reigned by God's Spirit are His children. So what happens right now? So we can look at our lives right now. So, everybody who is led by the Spirit of God, the sons and daughters, Elbefelder translation, so as many as are led by the Holy Spirit, so it's something active. It's not something in the past. So, those are the sons and the daughters of God. So, if you get to know someone, it is true that you know what the other likes or doesn't like. So, it's a superficial encounter. You shake hands, but you don't know what moves any somebody else. But if you get to know somebody better, you know what annoys someone, you know what the person likes or doesn't like, what grieves someone. So, you know how to deal properly with someone. And it is the same thing happening with the Holy Spirit. It's not an unpersonal person of Trinity, but as we have learned, but it's important to know and to see the Holy Spirit is a person with feelings, a will, mind, he can love, he can be rejected. So, who preached a lot about it? It has been 20 years ago. Benny Hinn and others. So, it's a person of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of Trinity. Sometimes you can imagine it like this. If I think about the Holy Spirit, then I love examples. And a very good example is one that Benny Hinn uses. It is Trinity. It's like that. When the Father, so the Father gives the law. He says, there shall be light. So imagine a dark room and the, God speaks it. The Father speaks a word. Jesus does it. It's like he goes to the light switch and he does it. So, And the Holy Spirit is like electricity. And so, so it made sense to me. So they work together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And 2 Corinthians 3 verse 14, it says the whole, he longs for fellowship. And without fellowship, we cannot be led. And so it was in these years getting to know what does it mean to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, to be with Him, to hear Him, to be led. So there are people who are still have great problems being led by the Holy Spirit because they did not learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> but I hear the voice once I get to know someone. So once you're married and you hear the voice of your husband, 
probably hear the voice. So you would recognize it among a lot of voices. Or the voice of your wife, you would hear it very, very gentle or whatever she sounds like, but you would hear her. So, and it's the same for the Holy Spirit. So the sign of the Holy Spirit is that we recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit and that we hear throughout the service, everyday life, on the road, at work, while we're driving our car. You know the voice of the Holy Spirit. So you can not hear it, you can overhear it, and then you feel how the voice gets a little more quiet, but you hear the voice soon. This is what Jesus also wanted it to be like. So when Jesus was with the disciples, the disciples came to Jesus. So they asked him, what are we supposed to do? Explain us how we're supposed to pray. And Jesus went to the Father, resurrected. He goes back to the Father, but he says, I will leave the Holy Spirit with you, and he will lead you into the full truth. And so it was. It was very normal. The life of a normal Christian is the life that I can hear the Holy Spirit. So Peter knew the voice of the Holy Spirit, and you can read it in Acts. He was led. And others heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. So it was very normal. And what they knew... We want to live in a way that the Holy Spirit feels well and that he's not grieved. So this word to grieve is a little bit old word, but we know what it means. If somebody's grieved, you've been grieved too. Maybe hurt. Maybe another word. If somebody is hurt, then he's grieved. He's sad. And takes a step back because... The Holy Spirit is not is not coming by force, saying, "I want, I'm doing with you what I want to do." But He's not the one who overwhelms you or overcomes you. <coughs> but He's a gentleman. He's sensitive. So the greatest sin is to grieve the Holy Spirit. And Scripture does not say that you can grieve Jesus. It never speaks about the fact of grieving the Father, but it speaks about the Holy Spirit. And to grieve the Holy Spirit, it's if you deny the presence of the Holy Spirit, living as if He's not there. So it's indifference. And we see it again. And we just pretend as if he's indifferent. So that means to grieve. So slowly we come to Romans 6 and 7, but it is important that we would know what we speak about. So grief is a living, living a life that does not please him. So when we dealt with Romans 6 and 7, it was about the life, Romans 6, as an old man, old nature, Romans 7, in the life of the flesh. So my self-centered life, circling around my own life, the life under the law of the sin, the life, and maybe you remember, where sin finds a place to land within me. So we want to look at the connection for a short moment, but we see here the sign and the mark of children is that they are led, that they trust the father. So something is broken once a try, the child tries to run away from the father, hiding from the father, saying, I don't want to, there is something not wrong, because if something is healthy, then the sign of children is that they can be led. And this is what the Father does through the Holy Spirit. So he waits to bring us closer to Jesus. And he is the key for the life under another law, says Romans 8. That we no longer live under the law of sin, but the law of the Spirit. 
So, and before we will deal with that word, what it means, we're going to look at Romans 8. If you have a Bible with you, we can look at it together, Romans 8, verse 1. So, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, we can say amen and hallelujah, and we're going to leave. And it is true. It is a wonderful word. Because a sign of many, many Christians is... It's a life in condemnation, the permanent feeling that you're not enough. And it was also a sign of Martin Luther. This permanent fight and struggle, how can I be enough for God? And we see Romans 8 verse 1, it has something to do with being in Christ. There is no condemnation for those for those who are in Christ Jesus. And many suffer from that condemnation. I reject myself, I compare myself, or a sign of condemnation is that I cannot find a home, I cannot come home. And it's incredible, indescribable gift of the gospel that you find healing and home and peace with God. But many who are under this condemnation don't find peace with God even though they really put effort into it. And it's this inner peace, the fact of knowing that I'm saved, the fear of not being enough for God. Am I doing enough? So it's a mark if you've been raised in a very religious way. Almost like the wish to be perfect. Only if I do everything perfect, all these things, then maybe I will come home. And on that condemnation, religion finds a place, or may, maybe also the other way around. From reli religion comes condemnation. So it's like two sides of a medal. And the good message is, we are not accepted by God according to our gifts or the character traits that we carry, but because of the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. You are accepted because the grace of Jesus is sufficient. Tell your neighbor, the grace of God is sufficient. And let's look at the next verse. So we have really started dealing with Romans 8. Because through Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by sinful nation. God, nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned his son in our place. And we can only understand the grace of Jesus once we understand the results of sin. So we can only understand what Jesus did on the cross once we understand that every kind of sin deserves the curse. So Jesus went to the cross because he was condemned to death. He was hit by the curse that we were supposed to have. He identif identified himself. And often it's words, 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 and we hear it so often. But my time of getting saved, so it happened in, in the, the first days of my school, so I will tell about that. And there was Volkert Spitzel, and it was he was a Jesus people pastor, and he got saved there. But there was a seed in my life before. It was true in elementary school that it started with prayer. So we were standing in a circle and we prayed, and the second was we had a teacher, and. She made us learn songs. And I think I was maybe in second or third grade. I think I was third grade or maybe fourth. And she was reading a song, Paul Gerhardt, Head Full of Blood and Thorns. And she was really strict. So we had to learn all of the eight verses. But you, does anyone know the song? And this 
song is the pure gospel. And there was one thing what you bore for us is my my burden. You carried what I was supposed to carry. And I remember I was repeating it again and again with my mother. So she had to help me so that I could say it. And it is what happened. So when God looked at the son on the cross of Calvary, he didn't see him and saying, oh, my son, what you're suffering. But he looked through him. He saw him covered with sin. He was the one who was so despised. He saw him and he was starting to rot. The way it is, sin. And you know the picture of Old Testament? It is the picture of the plague. So Jesus was the first sinner. He was the one who went to the cross in our place. And God is a holy God. And if he meets a sinner, he can only say, I cannot have fellowship with you, you have to die. And this is so hard in our Western thinking. We like grace and love. And to understand grace, we have to understand the sin. And we understand it so hard because we are so distant distant from God and His holiness and we don't have an idea of His holiness. So sin in the eyes of God is something that is not to be accepted. Something that is disturbing Him in a very bad way. And He can only push away sin and He can only curse death. And that's why Jesus died for you and for me on the cross. That's why Jesus went to the cross. I'm giving my life in place for you, Job Spittner, for you, Klaus Schock, or whatever your name is. I give up myself because of sin. And so it says in Romans 8 verse 3, for what the law was powerless, for the sin he gave. He broke the power of sin. And we can read, he was without sin. He was tested, he was hungry, he was thirsty. He had human blood in his veins, nerves, temper. So he was not the heavenly superman who is anyway supernaturally flying over this earth and not able to be attacked. But he decided against sin and he was without sin. And so we read our old nature, our old man, what we are, the disgusting creature that we are, that we are sinners. And Jesus took it away. I spoke about it. The old man went to the cross with him. And because this old man, this old nature, went to the cross, the sinner, you and me, on the cross, Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. He brought you into a new atmosphere, a new hemisphere. And this is the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit can move. The Holy Spirit cannot move if we live according to the old man, we're just living for ourselves. It's not going to work. So he can only do it if we're saying again and again, no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And then we're looking at Romans 8, verse 2, 2 and 3. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you see in verse 2 and 3 that the word law is used several times because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. 
the law of the spirit and the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. And it used two times this word law and it, or Romans 8 verse 3 it is the law of the Torah but here it's about something else. Romans 8 verse 2 it's about a law so you're no longer living under the law of sin so sin can no longer take a hold of you so it's a law like a law of gravity something that comes again and again a law that is there laws that are repeated again and again so it's a law of sin and this is what Jesus went to the cross for and now you are in a new area of your life and this is the law of the spirit and this is so important because then you no longer have to put effort the new law of the spirit you don't have to try so hard you don't have to strain to get God moving so many Christians live as if you're thinking that God is an old God up there and I have to do so much to get him moving. I have to put effort into it. And no matter which way I live, it's always a 50-50 chance whether it's happening or not. I want to tell you something. I live differently. The law of the Spirit means I'm in His hand and I trust Him and I know that He gives me everything. The law of the Spirit is, and sometimes this word of surfing is used, but I don't like this word because it's so fun-oriented. I am in an atmosphere that I know, that I know, that I know, that it's not through might and not through power, but through the Spirit of God. It's a new law of the Spirit. And the only thing that I need to do is to surrender myself, to trust Him, to listen to Him. And that's why my times of prayer are very, very glorious and wonderful. I encounter the Lord and the presence of the Lord is there. But my prayer times are very often that way that I am before Him, really enjoying being with Him. I thank you, Father, that I can be your child. Holy Spirit, here I am. And the Holy Spirit comes saying, I love having fellowship with you. How nice that you're waiting. Yes, sometimes there are times and I struggle and I have to pray through things. But it's a new atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. He who is led by the Spirit of God. I am a child of God. You can lead me. You reign over my life and you may do that the way you want to. I may trust you even though it's narrow or difficult. I am in a new at atmosphere. And the question is, and this is a very crucial question, where is the root of our life? Where are we rooted? Either our spiritual life is rooted in the flesh or in the spirit. Fresh water of the Holy Spirit. And there are two very beautiful pictures. And the one picture, and it's two pictures of trees. And the first picture, you know it, it's in Matthew 7, 16 throughout 21. And it says, you will recognize them by their fruit. Can you have figs from thistles? So every good tree brings good fruit. So a good tree cannot bring bad fruit and bad tree cannot bring good fruits. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. And this sounds tough, but it's a challenge for us. So it means something needs to happen. So you need to be rooted. 
Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So you can put efforts into bringing, to being a better tree and bring better fruits, and it's not going to work. When that tree is dried up or has wrong roots, so the quality of the tree determines the quality of the fruit. Or vice versa, if the tree brings bad fruit, we are supposed to look at the fruits, then I have to ask myself, what kind of root am I living from? So very simple. Look at the fruits. Good fruits, wonderful. No good fruit. A wrong root. So, and there's a second picture, also a tree, Psalm 1, and we love it very much. And I believe that this is a psalm about the life in the Spirit. So we know the Spirit of David, so David loved to live in the Holy Spirit, and we know the Spirit of David. So the blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. And there's a different understanding of the law of the Lord. And so we often connect religion, So, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He has joy. So the joy of the Lord is my strength, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's moving in his spirit. Wow. I don't see anything done by force here. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Two trees, different roots. And you will recognize it by the fruits. And Paul speaks about it, Romans 8, verse 9. So let's look at some more verses. So you don't live in the flesh, but spiritual. So don't live self-centered, but you live according to the Spirit of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God lives within you. So you do no longer have your roots in the flesh of your old man. You're no longer living according to your old experience. This is how you're supposed to live as a Christian. You no longer live in the flesh. This is no longer your root. So you have your roots in the Spirit of God. And this Spirit is the same Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead. Can you remember the preaching of Easter, the man with the veil? So this Spirit that was, is so glorious, full of power, anointing, rolling away the stone, and resurrected Jesus from the dead. It was the Holy Spirit in His power and glory. And this Spirit of God, He's supposed to live in me and in you. This is where I'm supposed to be rooted in. It's the same Spirit, and you can read it here in verse 11, the one who makes the dead living. Who of you believes in eternal life? I believe most of us do believe it. So we would not be sitting here. And many have the understanding that someday we're dead and the Holy Spirit makes us alive. You know, the resurrection starts here and now already. So the deadly bodies become living creatures because your personality is not built by your nose or your ear or but your personality is built by your emotions, feelings, will through what is placed in your spirit by the Lord. Verse 13 for you, if you live according to the sinful nature but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. So you have somebody standing with you. So it's still there. For if you live according to the flesh, you have to die. 
I love way more whether neither heights nor lows or anything can separate us. But it says here, if you live according to sinful nature, you will die. But it says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you have somebody standing with you. Planted in the Holy Spirit, it's so effective, so powerful. It's not possible to be stronger. You have somebody who stands with you. And with this one, if you stand with it, Mr. Flesh and Mrs. Flesh or Mr. and Mrs. Ego, and if he sees me with the Holy Spirit, these things are going to disappear. Verse 13. For you, if you live according to sinful nature, you will die. In German, it says according to the flesh. And this is something that we do not like that much. And you see, if somebody is a believing Christian and you accepted Christ, very aware of it. Sometimes there's a theology, once you're saved, you're always saved, but something else, it says something else here. And we have to look at this closely and to think about it. Of course, someone who rejects Jesus is lost, but someone who has received Jesus and then at some point gets stuck in a half-hearted living and you come to a point where obedience is not so important and you live the way you want to live and Jesus says it's wrong and we have to live differently tell your neighbor on your right and on your left we are not supposed to get stuck in half-hearted living So it's very practical that I could just uh, uh, mute my microphone so I can clean my nose. So God is very adamant. Life following Jesus is not a life where I can just live the way I want to. So the word of God is very clear and it says there is no excuse no matter how old or young, what culture you're coming from. A life without the decision to be obedient to the Holy, uh, to Holy God and it closes the door to heaven for me if I do not live that way. And somebody helped me to see it very clearly and to understand. It's a theologian teacher and a man who has a, had a very crucial uh, role in the charismatic movement. It's Wolfhard Kopfmann. So many, many years ago, he was the leader of the charismatic movement of the Lutheran Church. And God used him in the beginning of the charismatic movement, I think in the early 90s, I'm not sure when it was. He was a pastor in the Petri Church, and he preached, and they got more and more, a thousand, one thousand five hundred. And he really, really put a mark on the charismatic movement. And I took some of the parts of the Romans 8. And at the same time that I speak about Romans 6 and 8, it was the time when God took Wolfram Kopfermann to him. I think he went to be with the Lord like two weeks ago. And he heard from God that he was supposed to leave the church to found a new church and he founded a free church and he was one of the pioneers of church founding and he was very very precious to us and we were grateful for his life and in some newspapers you see honor for him 
and I want to cite from him. And I had the expression to share it with you and also share my appreciation for him. For in many areas, he gave us a theologic foundation. I remember some teachings about the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and there was somebody else here teaching, and it was very, very important for us also in a theological way. And I want to quote from him. God says, you have known the whole grace and you did not live according to it in your life. You didn't bring the fruit that I expected you to bring. My love wanted to change you deep within, but I never wanted compromise with half-hearted life within you. So compromise and half-heartedness is a sign for living in the flesh. God can never accept it. We can start living with it, but Jesus always asks, and God always asks for the fruits within, within us. So the fruit only comes once we are led by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for wonderful services where the Holy Spirit moves in mighty ways. But the leading of the Holy Spirit is something that is happening every day. And at the same time, it is something that we can waste. We can waste time of our lives. When we live in a lukewarm way and in compromise, thinking that just right before I die, we can change our path. Yes, I can repent if God gives me the room to repent. But in Scripture, there is nowhere a reason or something that legitimizes that we can follow Jesus on a small flame. No, but on the contrary, the Bible speaks that every day new, we are supposed to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I would not stand here preaching it if I would not have experienced it. So this baptism in the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 14, was a start for a life with the living God. And it couldn't be more exciting through highs and lows and crisis. But his fullness, his freedom never went away. The trust in him. Do we have a little bit more time? So some more points, but I will go through real quick. And then we will pray together. And maybe we have to change our thinking. We live in a time where we are made believe that life and compromise and half-heartedness is okay for God and is covered by His grace, but it's not true. God always asks how we live with Him and how we follow Him and how we are planted and rooted planted in the Spirit of God and Him. So five reasons. So the Bible calls it sanctification. Sanctification is not that finally I have overcome my sin that I've been struggling with for 20 years. But sanctification is something that is a process going on all the time. God takes away obstacles, a change of our character, something that we become more like Jesus. And I will give you five reasons why it's not going on with a lot of people. First, I don't take the Word of God serious. God has taken away every obstacle. God did that. Second, why it often does not work. We hold on to our old nature. And I want to ask you, are you really ready to get 
to let go of the old man. We pray together, will you work for it to really let go of sin? Because many people really live in that old man. Being angry, angry, negative words, I rebel against God and people, everything around me and unforgiveness. And I cover it up with the life of grace. If I really let it go, we have to let go that God can go on. Third point, it's a lack of holding on. So many are depending on their feeling and you are defined by your old experiences. So my experiences were so negative. But it's hindering you that you'd be rooted in the Spirit of God. So the fourth uh, hindering reason is to look at yourself. So many people look at themselves. What is my defeat, my mistakes, my sins? A quote of, from Kopfermann. For the spiritual life, there are only few things that are so bad, uh, like dealing with your own ego. So I really like that. <coughs> I will say that here. So a spiritual, for a spiritual life, there's only a few things that are so bad, like dealing with the own ego. Tell your neighbor, it's time that you would stop dealing with your own self and with your ego. And the fifth point is mistrust towards the Word of God. Because many mistrust the Word of God because it's not according to our experience. We have our experience and the Word of God says something else and I have to decide whether I believe things that I've read, I read here or my experience. And it is really bad for you. And, for, and now we'll have eight points for reasons in the freedom of the Spirit. And I will have them through in the three minutes. So first, living in the freedom of the Spirit. An open ear for the Word of God. You hear and you want to hear the Word of God. You want to hear what the Holy Spirit says to you, first of all. Secondly, lasting, enduring prayer. I sometimes wonder, I speak with Christians, they have been in a church for a very long time, and they sit service with service after service, and they're sitting somewhere worshiping the Lord, and then you ask them, how are your personal times of prayer, and they say, oh, yopst, I haven't done it for quite some time. No, 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 no. If you stop praying, you have fallen away from God. Start praying, and the Lord starts coming with His love in a new way. So the second thing is the Holy Spirit comes if you have a personal relationship with Him. Third point, worship and praise. Did you know that worship and praise, that it's not Bersheva who's in charge for you personally? Did you know that Gudla or Marcus or Anna are not appearing in your living room saying, let's worship together? Maybe with a CD? Or However, you know that you are in charge for your worship and your praise. Did you know that you're in charge even though you're in a worship team? Hello. Third point is worship. To be in the presence of God. Fourth point, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Saying, I don't have that much time, Yubst. I work for eight hours. One time worship, reading the Word of God, as an hour of worship and praise, and now fourth presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe I will want to have to become someone who is full time prayer. But the holy time of the Holy Spirit is not restricted to your room, but the presence of the Holy Spirit is you're on the road, you're standing on the shari, the time of the Spirit, you walk, go for a walk. The time of the Holy Spirit is precious. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. By the way, when you wake up in the morning, this is a very beautiful time. Some only know one word once they get up, it's coffee. 
But the word of God says every morning he wakes my ears so that I would learn and hear the way a disciple hears. And you know, the Holy Spirit loves it. In the morning, you've been sleeping, your head is empty. He wants to encounter you personally. And there's a book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, by Benny Hinn. So, fifth point. I thought about something. I was really smart today. I would leave out one word that you're not getting angry, So, but I will put another word in here. So the fifth point, I'm not speaking about discipleship, okay? But I will call it differently. And then you can just think about it. And an example, and I experienced that in Bogota, and it was so powerful. And as said, I was preaching and I was ministering and many, many thousands of people and I said, what is the secret of this? And I believe I have the key. When I, so I came there quarter past six and it was preparation in the morning. And no matter where I was, there was one question. Pastor Jobst, how can we minister to you? How can we serve you? Well, okay, Latinos, maybe that's different. And how can we serve you? So, and then I spoke with the pastors, Eduardo Canias and his wife, Fulvia, and they said to him, how can we serve you? How can we minister to you? Pastors who are in charge for thousands of people, how can we serve you? So it was not, well, I have this and that to do. I could imagine, well, at some point, maybe I could, support you I'm not speaking about that it was how can I can we serve you and a family member I met one of them in Houston it was Angelo and he was here too and we were sitting together and we were eating breakfast and it was and he said to me Pastor Jobst we're so moved by March of Life and the things happening how can we serve you and I believe this is the sign of the Holy Spirit to serve. How can we serve? And the fifth sign is and point is serving. It is not just that I make myself some time to help you, but you have to know that it takes a cost a price for me. A spirit of serving is different. A spirit of serving means, hey, how can can I be there for you? A spirit of serving. I'm no longer saying discipleship. I will say serving. A spirit of serving, it's way better. So the next sign is a good fight of faith. A life in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And this battle is not hard, but it is the willingness saying, no to the old man. I'm standing in my spirit and tries to stand up. Hello, Jobst. Hello, Gunter. Here I am. Woohoo. Winking at you, your old ego. You could have it so well with me. What are you doing? You have to say no very radically, and it's a spiritual battle. It's a good battle of faith. It is a battle of trust, because in him I have the best. How should he not give me everything with him? How often did I pray that before the March of the Nations? Whoa. So often. It's so many things who, which, that almost went wrong. And the devil was painting scenarios in front of my eyes how everything did not work and break down and nobody would sign in and war in Israel and whatever scenarios, 6,000 coming for nothing and disaster. And Lord, how should you not give me everything? Could you not just give that to us as well? And Jesus says, yes, I have given you everything already. Who should, how should I hold anything back? A father who is quite normal would love to give everything to his child. 
And the seventh point is patience. You know, on the ground of disappointment, nothing is growing. Sometimes we allow ourselves to be disappointed and there is nothing growing anymore. When the seed of the Word of God is given out, there is no faith. You come disappointed and you leave disappointed because the Word of God was not able to put to bring a seed into your spirit. The eighth point is to speak it out. It's homologeo. It's to agree with the Word of God. Read James 3. It's a, like a creed. He wants to put his word into your mouth and he wants your words to be like his. A word in agreement with the creative word of God. And this word has power and authority. Living in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. My dear friends, and I want to end here. I spoke about these three chapters because we are so much marked by the spirit of this time. A spirit saying, live the way you want. And so grace is like a big pool. And yes, this grace is hard to be imagined. But the life in the life of the freedom of the Holy Spirit only works through this cross by crucifying my old ego, my old life, saying, Lord, my life belongs to you, and I follow you according to your word. And this is the greatest freedom, and it's so precious. It opens the channels of heaven for your life. And let's please stand together, and we want to pray.